So I want to uh, I want to read four passages with you. Uh, get them all out uh, out in the open straight away. Uh, and uh, this may take a bit longer than normal, so bear with me. Um, I still intend to finish at the normal time, but this uh, discussion of qualifications may take a bit longer. Anyway, I want to begin at Acts chapter 20. And uh, uh, this is the passage where Paul is uh, 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 passing through, as it were, um, and uh, he's, he's landed at Miletus, which is on the western end of Turkey, near Ephesus. And he has called the elders of, of uh, the church in Ephesus to come to him. And uh, he speaks to them. And in verse 28, uh, he says this. Um, this is a, his instruction to them as elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And then uh, move on to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and Paul is, this, uh, this letter is quite late uh, in Paul's life, uh, probably amongst the last Probably the, the, one and two Timothy are probably the last letters that he wrote, and uh, gives Timothy instruction about um, elders. And he says in one Timothy three one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Then, jumping on a few pages to uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, after 2 Timothy. And again, writing to Titus... um, Uh, I'll read from verse 5 to verse 9. And Paul is speaking to Titus who's gone to Crete. And he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, 
For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then lastly, uh, 1 Peter 5, um, uh, chapter, uh, verse 1, uh, down, to, down to verse 4. And Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would, uh, would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, I want to just spend some time talking about eldership. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, the whole, the whole teaching of the Bible on eldership uh, is, is part of the, uh, the, the wider doctrine of, uh, of the church. And, uh, and the question that arises about the church is, who is it that's, that governs the church? And... Uh, and of course, the answer to that is is a very simple uh, answer. It is Jesus Christ who governs uh, the church. Uh, Christ Jesus is is head of the church, uh, and so I've just given a few uh, verses there and uh, under the introduction there. Christ is head of the church. Um, he is the head and rule over all the church. But you'll notice that. Um, uh, when the apostles are speaking about eldership, and uh, Peter uh, speaks about himself as an elder, and he speaks to other elders, um, he describes uh, these elders as shepherds. Um, and, uh, uh, and then further on, he describes Christ in verse 4, 1 Peter 5, 4, as the chief shepherd. Uh, and so, uh, how does Christ uh, govern his church? Uh, he is the chief shepherd, and under him are under-shepherds, if you like, um, shepherds of the flock. And it's these shepherds that are uh, also known as elder, elders. Um, 1 Timothy, uh, sorry, Titus chapter 1 also makes clear uh, they're overseers, um, and the word for sh- the word shepherds um, is also used commonly. Uh, the word that's used is pastors. So pastors, overseers, elders are are really all the same person. We looked at it from different uh, angles. Um, it's really the same office, and uh, and so we have this structure that that Christ has instituted, where he is the head of the church, and he institutes um, his under shepherds 
and elders rule the church, um, that that rule is not very. I mean, it's, I think some people might find that a difficult word to to think about in 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 a church context. Um, but uh, Paul Paul does use that term, uh, one Timothy five seventeen. And uh, so let me just find it. Uh, he he again t- says to Timothy, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labour in the preaching and teaching." So this idea of ruling, uh, of governing, is the role is given to the office of elder or overseer or pastor in the church. Um, now. Just a, another word about 1 Timothy 5.17. Um, you'll notice that there's a kind of difference. Uh, although all are elders, there's a difference in function um, where some are picked out as those who, who labor in preaching and teaching. And that's the justification we have for setting aside some elders to be uh, uh, ministers or preachers or teachers. Um, those involved with the public preaching or, or public ministry of the word of God. Um, so hence we have uh, ministers or te- what we in our denomination we call it teaching elders and ruling elders. Uh, I gather the PCA in the, in the States calls it teaching elders and ruling elders. But they're really all elders. They're all of the same office but with different uh, emphases in ministry. Uh, within that single office. Uh, the other el- office, if you're thinking about it, if you're wondering, is, of course, deacon, but that's that's for another day. We'll talk about that some other day. Um, and uh, so elders rule the church. Um, they carry out uh, the functions of rule in the church. Um, and and so we say, and some, some of you may be puzzled as to why we call it the session, uh, and the reason for that is that uh, when elders gather in assembly, uh, they sit in session. So this is often terminology used for um, uh, councils or governments or, you know, Parliament talks about sitting in session. Uh, the new session of Parliament they talk about, this is how uh, Parliament rules. Uh, it's the same in, in church governments when the, when, the set, when the elders sit together. They're in session, and so we talk about the session. Um, that's our kind of ancient terminology. However, let's move on to, um, so, you know, what is it that qualifies uh, uh, someone to be an elder? And uh, if you look through the list of qualifications that we've just read, um, one general thing to say about it is, um, actually... These are all things that, uh, you know, all Christian men should be um, aspiring to anyway. Um, uh, so in a sense that uh, this is a bar for everyone to uh, to reach over. But there are going to be some men who, who don't, uh, have not grown in maturity and haven't quite reached the standard. So, so that's worth bearing in mind. But it, it it doesn't excuse people from, you know, if you're if you're not hospitable, for example, uh, just choosing one at random, uh, you're not excused because you're not an elder for not being hospitable. 
Um, you should be hospitable as a Christian. Um, so let me just work through, uh, and I've kind of grouped them in a, a number of different ways that I, I hope will be helpful. Um, but the first thing to say is that um, uh, an elder needs to have a strong uh, spiritual life. And um, and that comes out in a couple of ways. Um, one is Paul's comment that an elder shouldn't be a recent uh, convert uh, in 1 Timothy 3.6. He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit or pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, this is just practical wisdom. It's um, uh, uh, Somebody needs to, who aspires to be an elder um, or is being considered for eldership needs to have a certain kind of a certain amount of uh, experience of walking with the Lord of um, battling with their own personal sin and knowing how to uh, uh, to repent of sin knowing how to uh, uh, mortify sin and live to righteousness and that's something that grows with maturity so uh, it can't come with a, a recent convert so you can just imagine that there would be some very impressive fellow uh, who's maybe who does really well uh, professionally or something, um, is a great leader, and maybe has all kinds of gifts and abilities, and yet maybe a recent convert, but may be susceptible to the wiles of the devil in a way that a, another Christian who's been one for years isn't. And so susceptible perhaps to temptations of pride, um, falling into the condemnation uh, of the devil. And it also uh, comes down to uh, what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that uh, an elder needs to be in the habit of uh, paying attention to his own spiritual life. Let me just find it. Uh, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Um, you know, an elder needs to have uh, a patient, uh, needs to be paying attention to his own personal spiritual life and spiritual walk with God. And he needs to be consistent in this uh, uh, attention paying to his own condition. Um, so, there's a need to have a strong spiritual life, uh, which you know incorporates uh, knowing, uh, studying the word, uh, being a man of prayer, and so on. We'll come come to those again in a minute. But uh, a strong spiritual life, um, not a, not a recent convert. Um, uh, that's related to that is the second uh, notion of uh, personal character, and. Uh, uh, is put positively and negatively in these lists. Um, positively, you know, such a candidate needs to be above reproach. Now, I take that to mean that there is nothing that's no charge that anybody can bring against a person for um, wild and riotous living or something like that, um, whatever it may be. Uh, there's no obvious uh, and notorious. Uh, as sinful aspect of life that's going on. 
so beyond reproach, nobody can bring a charge. Um, nothing that would um, obviously dishonor Christ. Um, and then uh, this idea of being self-controlled, um, uh, as mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, um, and I think this has got everything to do with, you know, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit has been at work in this person. The grace of self-control has emerged. And the person is able to, uh, doesn't live by his passions, but lives by the Word of God and the biblical principles. Um, so, uh, always beware of a, a, a man who, who gets easily riled up or angry or or emotional or, or whatever it is um, is not ruled by his passions but is self-controlled and that's a grace that, that the spirit works uh, in him uh, negatively uh, I, I, I'm not aware anybody's got this problem but drunkenness right? <laughs> um, it's uh, the Bible, in my view, the Bible doesn't prohibit um, uh, consumption of alcohol, but uh, it does prohibit and warn against drunkenness. And, um, uh, you know, I have known of cases of, of ministers, actually, teaching elders, who have had as their counselor late at night their bottle of whiskey. Um, and... Uh, you know they resort to um, to to drink. Now this is a so just put that out there. Drunkenness uh, is a disqualification. Uh, violence. Um, uh, I can't imagine how that might happen in church life, but it could happen in family life. It could be a, a man is uh, violent with his wife with his children, unduly so. Um, or has a violent raging temper uh, in private. Uh, all of these kind of things um, uh, are in that kind of category. Uh, quarrelsome. Um, you know, always picking fights on small things or uh, not knowing what's important to address and what's important just to let go. Um and always making a point to assert yourself, to be quarrelsome, just to make sure that everybody knows you're right and, and they're wrong. Um, you have to uh, learn self-control in that, in that respect. Uh, loving money, uh, I think that's obvious. Uh, somebody who, who lives for money, lives for uh, is a greedy life. Um, <laughs> be careful lest you fall down. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it can happen, you know, uh, especially, uh, especially men are successful in life. They could be lovers of money. So these are all disqualifications um, that can, can destroy uh, a, a ministry as an elder. And if somebody has those as habits, uh, then they're disqualified. Third category, uh, family life. Um, so let me just address this question of uh, husband of one wife only. A um, couple of things to say about that. Uh, firstly, I don't think it means necessarily that the man has to be married. Uh, 
I think it's a uh, it's a statement of principle uh, about uh, your attitude towards marriage as God intended it. Uh, so marriage is was instituted by God between a man and a woman, uh, one man, one woman, and uh, and the idea of faithfulness in marriage. So. Um, so two things that would arise from that. I, th- I think what, he, what he's arguing against is um, there may have... One, one issue certainly prevalent uh, in Paul's time might have been polygamy. Um, and it can be a, a current day problem in certain cultures around the world. Um, but um, it, it would set the wrong example uh, because an elder has to be an example to the flock. Uh, for a man to continue, you know, to be a polygamist, say, and uh, and be an elder also, so that would exclude somebody from being an elder. Being an elder. Um, so it, the the way I put it is, he needs to be a one woman man in principle. So uh, now, what what I think that means is, um, uh, you know, it doesn't mean a divo- um, a, a widower can't be an elder. You know, he's lost his wife, but what would that exclude him from being an elder? You know, an older man uh, who's been a Christian for a long time? I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think it excludes necessarily a young man who, uh, before he's married. If, in principle, he's committed to uh, a one, he's a one-woman man. And I've known of elders in other churches who have become elders before they're married. And have gone on to ha- be married and have wonderful families. So uh, I don't think those things uh, are excluded from this. But it's the principle of defending marriage. But then we move on to um, this idea of a well-managed household. Um, and that raises all kinds of issues. But the fundamental principle about a well-managed household is that, um, and this is, Paul is thinking about men with uh, wife and children. Is that the the tr- as in so many areas of life, family life is the training ground for other areas of life. Um, and so, uh, uh, being a, a head of the household, as a man is, is is a training ground for. A man to be a head of the uh, a leader in the church or an elder in the church, and it, the the question is: if he cannot manage his own house, how can he be put in charge of a church? You know, so the training ground is of family life is really important, and seeing how a man leads his family really matters. Um, and what that means for children is, of course, that they they need to be. Um, uh, living disciplined lives. They need to be under control, uh, not um, running out of control. Um, I know of one minister, um, uh, one man who wanted to be a minister of a church um, and was being considered by a church, but he was uh, he was rejected because his children were out of control when he came to preach with a view. Um, his children were all over the place, they, you know, during the service, running around, screaming and shouting, and they were out of control. <laughs> so um, it's uh, 
having your children uh, under control, uh, respectful of, of family and so on, uh, of, of mother and father, is, uh, is very important. Um, now, Titus uh, raises this question of children being believers. Uh, I'll just turn to that. Gets Titus. So Titus says, um, "Where does he say it? I've lost it. Where is it? Yes, uh, verse six. If anyone, uh, if anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. So here you see the the charge of debauchery, which is just being out of um, out of control, uh, insubordination. You know, arguing back with parents and so on. Um, but the question of children as believers. Now, if you're in a Baptist setting, often that's interpreted to mean your children need to have been, uh, have been baptized, professed faith, ba- been baptized um, as professing believers. And uh, if your children haven't done that, then you're uh, not qualified. And I've known men who's, who've relinquished Eldership in a in Baptist churches um, because their children never profess faith. That's not how I think we should see this um, this passage. Uh, we are covenantal Presbyterians, uh, at least uh, the church is in principle, <laughs> and uh, we are uh, we take the view that when children are raised in a Christian family, we treat them as believers. And it's only when they begin to show signs of um, insubordination or rejection of the Christian faith, then um, uh, then the trouble starts. But and I was I came to that conclusion actually through my daughter. Um, I remember I used to treat our Katie, who's now twenty eight, uh, a believer, married to a, a Christian believer, involved, heavily involved in the church and Christian ministry up in Glasgow, but. Uh, I remember, uh, I think when Katie was about six, uh, I was very much treating her as a little unbeliever and uh, trying to convert her. You know, this is where uh, uh, some disbelief on some people's faces as I'm looking at you. Um, but I was, I've had very much a kind of baptistic mindset of uh, my, ch- my child needs to be converted. And... Uh, uh, it was Katie that taught me because she realized what I was doing and she said to me, but I am a believer. <laughs> and uh, it suddenly dawned on me that my six-year-old daughter, I was discouraging in the faith rather than encouraging and nurturing. And I think we need to believe, you know, as, as, uh, uh, as those who believe in God's covenant, that when he gives us, his cho- gives us children, as, and we're parents and stewards over their, their little lives, uh, we must trust that they are believers because they believe what their parents believe. They follow what their parents believe from the earliest days. And we need to treat them that way. So that's why, what I think um, uh, uh, Paul is telling t- Titus. Uh, as long as your children are are believing, they're not rebelling against their parents, 
but they're learning what it means to trust and believe, then uh, then that's uh, that's all we can ask of this uh, as we consider this question. So then, moving on to the next category, time's pressing on. Um, uh, caring about the spiritual life of the church, and uh, a number of things to say about that. From, uh, back to Acts twenty twenty eight, and Paul says, as well as uh, care for, pay pay attention to yourselves. He says, and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. Um, We are, as elders, we are tasked with, um, you know, a sacred task of caring for the flock. Um, We are, uh, and every elder is a, we believe is not appointed by the church, but is appointed by the Holy Spirit to lead. And uh, we have a a sacred charge to care for the flock um, as shepherds of the flock, remembering that every soul under our care has been bought with a price, the price of Christ's blood, the blood of God, as he puts it here. Um, And... uh, uh, that should shape how we think about um, our our task as elders. And uh, any prospective elder needs to think that way as well. Um, also, Paul goes on to describe how, so there's the care for the flock, there's this idea of shepherding and feeding and looking after, but there's also that role of protecting. Uh, and so um, he goes on to t- talk about the fierce wolves that can come in, some amongst your own number. Uh, wolves will come in, as it were. People who want to, to wreck the flock. And uh, we always need to be careful and ready to defend and ready to die for the flock. Uh, we're not hirelings. We are uh, Christ's shepherds. Um, so care, caring for and protecting the flock um, not domineering, Paul draws that out. Uh, this is uh, this is where pride can come in, where you can begin to dominate and domineer, and uh, you begin to think you're really something if you if, if you become an elder. And uh, Peter is telling us, elders don't dominate the congregations. Elders tend and care for the congregations, um, and so this is. Uh, uh, it's an important attitude. Um, they need to be hospitable. And I think that simply means they're open to opening up their homes, um, welcoming people into their homes, um, caring for people, uh, using their uh, whatever they have to to offer hospitality to members in, in the church and outside the church uh, as well. And then, um, able to teach. So, T- Timothy and Titus also mentioned that. Able to teach. Um, now, what I think that means is not necessarily preachers. Not necessarily uh, public ministry. Not every elder has a public ministry as such. Where they stand up in front of the congregation and preach a sermon. Um, but they may do. 
and Falco does, and uh, and does so very very ably and and well. And uh, many of our uh, elders in the presbytery have a an ability to preach and teach. Uh, Paul Corney, who's our moderator, is going to be preaching at our presbytery meeting on Saturday. He's a he's not he's a ruling elder. He's not a, a minister, um, but he he can preach very ably. However, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be a preacher, but you do have a teaching ministry in the sense that you're able to open up the Bible and explain it to people. Uh, And that means that an elder needs to have a good knowledge of the Bible and that you need to have a good knowledge of basic Christian doctrine. That's why we require in uh, in our church, in EPQ, uh, cons- uh, agreement with the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms that uh, we require a certain level of doctrinal understanding and commitment and then um, uh, fifthly, almost there uh, a good reputation with outsiders, Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy 3.7 a good reputation with outsiders now we we haven't uh, done this, but I've I've heard of churches who not only consider what the congregation thinks, but will also ask a man's employer and his neighbours whether a person would become a good elder. Uh, now you have to obviously factor in that they may not be believers and they <laughs> might not be most helpful responses, um, but it does sift out, does this person have a good reputation with outsiders? Is this person known as a as a good worker? You know, if he's got a job, does he work well? Is he faithful in the task that he does? Uh, or is he a malingerer and a waster, um, always talking and blethering on and not doing his job? You know, this, this kind of thing. Uh, or as a neighbour, is he, is he a good neighbour? Is he a friendly neighbour? Is he a helpful neighbour? Or is he an awkward neighbour and a difficult neighbour um, who's always being causing trouble and complaining and stuff like that? Um, this is the kind of thing, you know, what kind of reputation does a man have outside of the church? Uh, now, we, haven't, we don't actually take that into account. Maybe we should, Falco. We, we, we don't have a formal process to take it into account. We, we kind of take it on trust that people are, if we know the man, then we... We hope they have a good reputation, but it's important um, that this is uh, taken seriously. And then my last point, and, uh, and and this doesn't come out of a verse as such, but um, really comes out of a comment from, um, so David Dixon um, in the 19th century was a Scottish elder who wrote a book called The Elder and His Work, um, which is a great book, uh, really thought-provoking. Uh, very relevant, even though it's a, uh, from the 19th century. Um, he says this, um, elders need to be men of deep sympathy. Um, meaning, uh, you have to have a sympathy with other people. Notice, not an empathy, that's a different thing altogether, but a sympathy with the condition of the people under your care. In other words, you you need to be able to understand and have some sense of fellow feeling, which is what sympathy means. Sense of fellow feeling 
as to their condition and their situation. Um, and uh, David Dixon mentions this verse in Romans twelve fifteen: Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Um, and the reason that's true is because Jesus Christ had that fellow feeling with people around him. Uh, he felt their pain. He was a man of sorrows. You know, he understood uh, what they were experiencing. And, uh, and therefore, closeness to the Savior, uh, you, you'd expect some of that to rub off on, a, on an elder. If you're walking with Christ, you expect to, to grow in that sense of sympathy and fellow feeling with those under your care. So, uh, 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 so all other things there, spiritual life, personal character, family life, um, caring for the spiritual life of the church, uh, having a good reputation with outsiders, being men of deep sympathy. Those are the qualifications, I think, that we need to be uh, looking for as we uh, seek to appoint elders.